Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hi there, it's Laura Wasser. And if anyone knows how much divorce sucks, it's me. I've been practicing family law for over 20 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces. Creating peace in families is how I lost my voice. From the top of the food chain all the way down to my very first case, which was my own divorce when I was 25. I wrote the book on divorce, or I wrote a book on divorce. It's called It Doesn't Have to Be That Way, How to Divorce Without Destroying Your Family or Bankrupting Yourself. That book became a bestseller because it presented another option for ending a marriage, one that doesn't necessarily include lawyers and one that leaves more money in both parties' bank accounts and less animosity in their hearts. We created It's Over Easy, the one-stop breakup divorce resource online with the same principles in mind. So welcome to the Divorce Sucks podcast, where we talk about breaking up, getting divorced, and moving on. Good morning. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning, and welcome to the Sunny Side Up Report. I'm Laura Wasser. Buongiorno, I'm Johnny, and welcome back from Italia. <laughs> Grazie. <laughs> Today our subject is gray divorce, and before we get there, we will tell you what is happening in the world of divorce, breakups, marriage, etc. Going from how one celebrity couple deals with betrayals, how to get away cheap for divorcees, what happens to your marriage, what happens to your mega million winnings when that ticket is and purchased <laughs> with marital money? And the latest from our Insta feed and how might when you're born affect whether or not you'll get divorced? Hmm, how might when, when you're, you're born. born affect us? I wonder. Well, starting with celebrity news, you know, that's one of my favorite things. First of all, it's not actually on here, but can we just have a moment for Judith Krantz, um, the great romance novelist who passed away. She wrote many, many uh, romance novels and uh, I think... I'm sure lots of divorcees have read her novels. Yes, R.I.P. Judith Krantz. Yes, and uh, in happier news, Jada Pinkett Smith says there have been betrayals of the heart in her marriage, but she's managed somehow to stay married to Will Smith. Um, And this is when she hosted her Red Table Talk on Facebook Watch. I've seen a a bit of it. She speaks with our... I would say her, our friend, but she probably doesn't know we exist. But couples therapist Esther Perel, who we have kind of um, girl, girl, girl crush. crushes on, yes, absolutely. about betrayals in her own relationship with Will and how they've kind of made it through. I listened to uh, Dr. Perel really give some great examples of how to push through things and what those betrayals actually mean and what the betrayal actually is as opposed to the actual sex act, right. but it's the keeping it secret and all that. So it's a really, it's an awesome one. And, and the article is good, but I also would check out part of Red Table Talk with uh, with Jada Pinkett Smith. On the Worthy blog, Dina Landon wrote an article about traveling on the cheap. Oh, yes. Speaking um, of summertime. She's an author, blogger, and single mom who confesses to eating raw cookie dough, and she t- shares tips for divorcees and how they can travel inexpensively. So check that out. The first point she says is use points wisely. She talks about paying her bills with credit cards that get mileage points or points at hotels. She says couch surf and house sit um, are great ways to stay places for free. Um, she says a bottle of wine is a lot cheaper than a hotel room. Nice. Um, to share with your friends who you're staying with and travel with friends. Um, she she makes uh, the point of... Uh, a time she went out with a friend who is currently going through a crappy divorce of her own down south, where there's a one-year waiting period, which is almost as good as Ireland. And they had a really <laughs> great time. 
All right. So check that out. Also, it's interesting. People ask me all the time, can I, you know, the points which were accrued on any kind of point program, whether it's with an airline or hotels, those points are often divided as part of a divorce. So don't forget mm. those when you're dividing things up, particularly if you're pro se or pro per doing it on your own. Those are an asset and they can be transferred and you should be using them, especially if you're going to be traveling after you split up. Let's see. That takes us to frequent flyer miles. We're flying. Those are mine. I want them. You know what we're going to do? We're going to split them right down the middle. How'd that be, Mr. Kroger? I earned those miles. Yeah, you earned them flying to Denver to meet your whore. Oh, Lord. Well, she's not afraid to express herself sexually, if that's what you mean. She's a stripper, for God's sake. She is not. Her name is Chastity. She is white trash. Next story by David Williams and Madeline Thompson oh, out of yes. CNN. And I saw this all over the place. When I was in Italy, I kept sending it <laughs> to Johnny because yeah, I got it four or five times. <laughs> I've definitely talked about this before. This is something that has happened in California. And this now has happened in Michigan. A lottery winner was ordered to share his lottery winnings with his ex-wife because he purchased the ticket that won him the $15 million jackpot with a dollar or whatever, however many these costs that he had earned when he was married. Amazing. The, the arbiter ruled that the ticket was part of the couple's marital assets. It was a dollar. One dollar to buy the winning ticket. Yeah. Another thing that I thought was interesting about the story is that the dollar, they assume that they lost other dollars before from right. the marital community. Right. And now, well, how does that impact? I mean, what, how does the... It doesn't. The- if that dollar was earned during marriage, then it was... The, this is what the arbitrator said, that arguably marital money and was a joint investment. Hmm. I, that could have gone either way. The case that I've spoken about many, many times in California is a woman who won the lottery um, after she was separated. So technically, the winnings would be post-separation. But because she did not disclose them, and mm. it's so important in any state to disclose all of your assets, the judge got so angry that he actually ordered her to give all of the lottery winnings to her ex. Then oh, it went wow. up on appeal and they split them. But, you know, omitted assets are a big deal. Don't forget or or purposely leave anything out, even if you got it and you believe it's your separate property or if you're in a equitable distribution state, something that your spouse wouldn't be entitled to, you still must disclose it. So let this be a lesson to us all. And congratulations, Mary Elizabeth Zelasco. And to Richard. He's still got half of the That's 80 true. million mega, <laughs> mega millions jackpot. Wow. <laughs> And on our Instagram feed, since you've been away, you may have missed at Jess1418 had this to say. I just discovered your podcast yesterday. I've been listening nonstop. Thank you so much for all the amazing advice and making me feel more comfortable with not choosing to get married. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, and Jessica1418, we just want you to be comfortable. I, again, comfortable not getting married, getting married, getting married and getting divorced, talking about a prenuptial agreement. If you're happy, we are happy. Yes, we are. And last but not least, did you know that the divorce rate is at a 40-year low unless you're 55 years or older? Meaning, gray divorce. There were some other ones that they call it diamond divorce yeah. days. And what was the third one? <laughs> silver silver divorce? No, this- it was something else. It was good. But I, I mean, I like it. And again, these are often baby boomers. They're people that got married out of high school. And this is before people who were choosing to wait. And, you know, we, we, we have to look out for those people, too. They are moving into next chapters of their own. 
Mm -hmm. They may not have as many chapters left (laughs) as some of the millennial divorcees, but they also have often in many instances quite a bit more to be dividing, looking into retirements, pensions, social security benefits, stuff like that, that we may not always think about. So gray divorce, we're here for you. Yeah. And on that subject. Yes. Let's welcome uh, (laughs) New York matrimonial law attorneys Emily Pollack and Kelly Frawley and CPA Avi Reichman to talk more about gray divorce. Looking ahead to the next phase of life can seem pretty dreadful if you can't stand the person you'll be spending it with. Thankfully, till death to us part is no longer as ominous as it sounds. According to a recent Pew Research analysis, in the past 25 years, the divorce rate for Americans over the age of 50 has more than doubled. These so-called gray divorces are on the rise, and the unique issues people over 50 bring to a split may surprise you. Millennials and Gen Z listeners, the information contained in this episode is still worth listening to because, after all, no one stays young forever. I'm a good example of that. My guests today are two of New York's finest matrimonial and family law practitioners. They're both partners at Kazowitz Benson Torres, and they flew in last night for this special conversation. Please join me in welcoming Ms. Emily Pollock, who has a varied practice representing income-earning and non-income-earning spouses, moms and dads, unmarried and married parents with varied net worths. She's been recognized as a rising star by New York Metro Super Lawyers and selected for inclusion in the best lawyers in America in the area of family law. And Ms. Kelly Frawley, who handles complex financial and custodial matters involving divorce, equitable distribution, custody, child and spousal support, paternity, and other areas of matrimonial and family law. She's been recognized on the benchmark litigation under 40 hot list and as a New York Metro super lawyer. Welcome to Divorce Sucks, ladies. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. So Johnny writes most of the scripts, and I was saying to him the other day, I know on the East Coast, you guys call us all matrimonial attorneys, right? (laughs) Right. But that doesn't cover all the other stuff that I just mentioned that you both do. So are you matrimonial and family law practitioners? Is that what you say mostly? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, we, you know, we generally explain to people that we're family law attorneys. And especially nowadays, there's a lot more out of wedlock children. And so you want people to know that, you know, we handle those types of cases as well. And, you know, including child support or just even where people maybe are still getting along and they've had a child, we do some type of, you know, cohabitation agreement for them. Got it. Or post-judgment stuff after divorce when you need to, you know, enforce the agreement, modify the agreement. We do that stuff. Right. Um, and sometimes we just say flat out divorce attorney, which is what people really think we are. Well, that's, yeah. yeah. I mean, I always tell people when I was like first started practicing and I was so, you know, happy to be practicing and I was driving and I got a speeding ticket. And so but up until I was about 30, I could usually talk my way out of them. But this is when I was in my late 20s. And so I got pulled over and the officer said, well, what do you do for a living? And I said, oh, I'm a family law attorney. He goes, so you're a divorce lawyer. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. I guess that's just what I am. <laughs> when I first, um, prior to practicing family law, I was a prosecutor. I saw. And I was so proud of that position. And when I was leaving, you know, a lot of the judges gave me a hard time about it, saying you're never going to survive that field. You know, it's 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 a cutthroat industry. And so when I first um, started introducing myself, I would say, I used to be a prosecutor. I'm a former prosecutor. I do family law because I just felt divorce law was so harsh. Right. And but you know, here we are, 12 years later, and I'm like, I do divorce. I'm a divorce lawyer. <laughs> right. We've just resigned ourselves yeah. to it. So. Any idea why on the East Coast they call it matrimonial and on the West Coast it's more family law? Or is that not, is that a misnomer? 
Um, it is. It definitely is. Um more common to reference it as matrimonial law. We, when we introduce ourselves, generally say we do matrimonial and family law for exactly the reasons that you're describing. Okay. As between matrimonial on the East Coast and family on the West, probably it's just a pretension issue. Would you okay. <laughs> do you do orders of protection for, you know, domestic partners? So Domestic yeah. violence restraining orders like those? Right, yeah. right. But not in the criminal court, in, right. the, in the family arena. Exactly. Right. So, so we handle those too. Do you guys do prenups as well? We do. Yes, okay. we do. In fact, we've been, I mean, we do a lot of them more than I think we had been doing even a few years ago. Well, I know some of your colleagues, like I'm on the East Coast quite a bit. It's really interesting because so many of your New York state colleagues were like, oh, no, no, we don't do that. Orders of protection or prenups? No, prenups. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. yeah you know, it's. I was just going to say, I, I wish they would do more because we see a lot of prenups that are drafted by sort of a generational wealth's family lawyer. Right. Um, who frequently has no idea what should be in a prenup. Right. Um, so, you know, a big selling point for us is that you should be getting your prenup drafted by this the person who's going to be litigating and forcing it. Right. Exactly. Well, that's kind of a hot, hard sell. Like, right. don't worry, you'll be back to me. So, <laughs> right. I mean, the truth is they're not money makers for right. attorneys and they present a lot of liability. Huge. And, you know, they're they're tough. I always say that drafting a prenuptial agreement, I think, is much harder than, you know, maneuvering a custody battle. Um, and, you know, it's sad because sometimes you'll see, you know, young women who are about to get into a relationship that, you know, you really know that you need to cross your T's and dot your I's with this prenup because yes. we're going to be looking back at it in a few years. Yes. So. And interestingly, as we tell our listeners, you don't need an attorney to get divorced, but you need an attorney to sign a prenup, <laughs> right. Right. which is really interesting. I never heard that, but that's, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's when, when we looked into our site, we started thinking, oh, we should do prenups as well. But because there is that, like, you can't, there's no pro per component to it. You need to have legal advice and you really need an attorney to sign off on it for it to be valid. And that's the way it is in pretty much every state, but certainly in New York State and California. I think people really don't appreciate that. We frequently get people who are other attorneys who will say, can you just send me a, a, a form prenup right. to, you know. And you're like, yeah, no, no. I can't. <laughs> Emily, tell us a little bit about what you did before you started practicing matrimonial law. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you say that. I that's my started, affected. My that's your, that's your yes. East Coast voice? Yes. I like it. I started doing securities law and hostile takeover work at uh, a big firm in the city and general commercial litigation. And it was miserable. Mm-hmm. You know, it was you have no control over your own time. There are 40,000 people staffed on each case. There's just a lot of red tape. And it's very difficult to build a practice doing that. So after a few years of doing that, I just kind of thought about other areas of law where I could both have a little more control over my own schedule, build my own book of business, and actually work with the people who I'm representing. Right. And so I, I tried matrimonial, and it kind of stuck. And was part of the shift so that you could have more time to um, acquire action figures? What the f*** is that about? That, what is this about? You're supposed to be a serious lawyer. There's a key piece of that uh, fact about me, uh, okay. which is that in addition to the action figures, I also live with a six-year-old. Okay. Thank so. you. That was left out. I thought that was just <laughs> like 40-year-old version type right. of situation uh, yeah, exactly. happening. What she's leaving out, though, is that the collection started before the six-year-old. I see. <laughs> okay. Or, or that it belongs to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. So with action figures. So this isn't doll. This is isn't Barbie dolls. This is like this size, like Star Wars. I love this right now. Yeah. She's totally having the best time. I I have, I have no interest in action figures. Um, They are 
totally owned by my son. I do spend a lot of time in the bath with them because that's where they tend to live. Is the so, son in the bath with you or are you in the bath with not, the actual figures where you're getting ready to file uh-huh, a case against the me? Of this. Yeah. No, no, no. There's no child protective <laughs> services. I'm just confused. So you're in the bathtub with the action figures. The action figures live in the bathtub because okay. he likes to have action figure um, wars in the bathtub. He's as, very, he's very, as one does. As one does. Right. Um, he's very into hockey right now. Mm-hmm. So they frequently are um, having hockey championships so in the bathtub. Do, do you ever see any of the real people and be like, oh, I bathed with you. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> do you um, go to hockey games? Wow, no, I want to. I do go to hockey okay. games. And there are many players who I would like to bathe with, see? but I have not been given that opportunity. And they're and they're so small. Okay. <laughs> Emily was going on a date maybe a couple months ago, and I was in her apartment before she was leaving, and she wasn't paying attention. She was getting ready. So I take one of the giant action Coming figures. Coming off as an awesome mom on the podcast. <laughs> I just put it in her pocketbook right. with the hope that she would be on her date and then like inadvertently like take out one of the WWF or right? whatever it is. But she Did it happen? It no. didn't happen? No. That, by the way, that happens to me without any assistance yeah. from friends. I like <laughs> start unloading like a Lego character. That happens a lot. So you're lucky. <laughs> All right. And then Kelly... You had a totally different start, and I and you touched on it a bit, but give us a little bit more about how you your journey from being a prosecutor to being a, to being a prosecutor to being a family law attorney. <laughs> yeah, right? They always say uh, in criminal cases the defendants are on their worst, you know, best bad, behavior. Bad people are right. on their best behavior, and in divorce you have very good people on, you know, and their worst. worst. Yes. Um, which I've found to be true. Yes. Uh, you know, I loved my job as a prosecutor, but um, you know, there, if you if you stay around too long, you can get pigeonholed, and it's very hard to transition into another area. Um, I felt I had maximized what I could learn from there. I had uh, the fortunate experience of being assigned to a felony narcotics division. And in New York at the time, it was the Rockefeller drug laws. So a lot of you know defendants really had no choice but to go to trial. And um, so I got a tremendous amount of trial experience. And just one day I was picking a jury and I just sort of felt, you know, my heart wasn't in it as it had been. And so I thought it was time to make a change. And, you know, family law seemed to present a practice where I could, you know, continue to help people because that was one of the reasons I became a prosecutor was really to, you know, do justice and do what's right. And I like working with the clients in matrimonial. So I feel, you know, that that has worked out. And a lot of the skill set that you learn as a prosecutor translates. Right. You know, I mean, you you know, unlike what Emily did with the, the securities litigation, you know, matrimonial, we're staffed so, you know, we staff so leanly. So, you know, you have to be able to you know, write the motion, argue the motion, write the letter, have the call about the letter. And when you're an ADA prosecutor, it's the same thing. Right. You know, you're not on a team. You're really just on your own. Yeah. Right. Well, she has all those action figures that she, They're very, she brings very that helpful, to the table. Very helpful. And you're an active volunteer with the New York Junior League? I am. What does that mean? Oh, goodness. Um, I'm glad I, I'm I haven't to... talked to a junior leaguer. Like, <laughs> I, I think I read about that when I was like reading those books that were written in the 50s. And, right. you know, I just want the record it's to reflect. It's definitely matrimonial law in the Junior League, by right. the way. I'm not wearing a string of pearls. No, right now. no. Um, <laughs> no, but it's a great outlet, especially, you know, with all the hostility we deal with in the day to day. You know, it's large, uh, a very, you know, w- a large women's volunteer organization. And I specifically work with young children, teaching them healthy eating okay, um, and cooking and things like that. But it's, it's a really it's a really great break from um, what we do. Now, 
one of the reasons that we found you and brought you in had to do with gray divorce, this, this chic little term for basically <laughs> old people getting divorced, which I can say because I'm going to be 51 this month. But so how how you guys are young, you're dealing with these older people. Do they say, oh, you don't even understand or you don't get it? Or do you are you able to relate to them? Particularly you, you've said, I, I, I want to be able to relate to the client. I, I really want to know who I'm talking to, write their story, you know, get into it with them. Is it difficult when you're representing older people? It's not. I think, you know, we're established in our career at this point. We've been doing this, each of us, uh, you know, between us over 20 years. And, you know, frequently we will get referrals from prior clients who are in that same age group. So you kind of come with the stamp of approval that you've done this. You've met old people before. Right. You know know how they work. Right. And I think if there is a... I always say when people come in for a consult that they should meet with a couple of attorneys, that it's kind of like speed dating. You should feel very comfortable with your divorce attorney. Do they try to set you up with their kids? I know know that's happened to Kelly. Yeah, because you you think I'm much younger than I am. Uh, I haven't had that yet, but maybe they know about the action figures. I was going to say, that's probably, if if they're falling out of the purse, that could be a problem. They know that my hobby is giving back to the community. Perhaps that's that's the difference. And shoving action figures in your partner's purse. (laughs) So give us some things that are different that our listeners should know about people who are getting divorced over 50. The, The show generally, I mean, we focus on all ages and I think a lot of things are pretty universal, but give us some of the things that you really think is, are important for our listeners to know about getting divorced over 50. So I don't know how it is in California with respect to spousal support, but in New York, it is it's really, it's kind of stingy, I would say that, you know, the law and a big concern I have for women, you know, if, if they're, I mean, with respect to gray divorce, I think, you know, we're talking about 50 and over is if you have a woman who's been a stay at home mom, either she had a career and she left it, or she's in fact never had a career outside the home, you know, work right. outside the home. What is she going? She's not going to go work at the Lancome counter at Bloomingdale's. That's not going to happen. But you know what? Then you know you can have some you know snarky adversary who who suggests that. Right. Um, you know, I one time had a case, and the the mom it was, I represented an older woman, and she's fabulous. I mean, most of the older women I see that get divorced always come out better on the other side. They I really mean, without do. fail, and uh, they're just happier. And she, the other, the opposing counsel, you know, she'd raised four children great children and she still had you know grade school children and the the female opposing counsel suggested that she was once a paralegal she should go back to be a paralegal and she could earn at least 50 grand so my client really you know i thought this was the best retort she said i would be a great paralegal if there was like a power outage because I was a paralegal <laughs> so many years ago. Like I, I don't even know how to work, you know, Lexus. I right. was like pulling stuff from books, you know. And then of course I said, well, what, what will you pay? You hire her then, right. you know, hire her at your firm. That's an but, even better retort. Yes. But, uh, you know, it's, I think it's, it's one of the things you really have to think about is where can you get back into the workforce? Do you have any skills to even go into the workforce? Are you willing to reduce your lifestyle if necessary? Are a lot of these folks downsizing anyway? I mean, I, I've heard often that pe- once once they're empty nesters, now their kids are at school, they look at each other and they go, I haven't really liked you for 10 years. Let's be divorced. Right. So now there's there's not the component of child support coming in because these kids have aged out, a lot of them. And there is also not that stay-home mom or parent ability to fill days with driving carpools and going to swim practices and being the room parent. So what happens then? 
It's, I mean, I think first I would say in New York, I, we'd have to define the term. I was horrified to hear that gray divorce is defined as divorce over the age of 50. I know, right? Because, you know, in Manhattan, you have moms with two-year-olds yes. that are 50. Yes. So um, I, I think that when we talk about this concept of the empty nest, in New York, that's certainly an older right. generation. But um, with respect to what it means in terms of finances and downsizing, it's not uncommon for people to sort of be thinking about that as they're transitioning. But frequently in an intact marriage, you're also thinking about what that picture looks like together. Right. So maybe we're going to be moving to Florida. You know, maybe we're going to be acquiring that vacation house. And whether you can really afford to retire at the time you had planned uh, may change. And whether you can really relocate if only one of you is moving may right. also change. You know. What's the oldest client on either side, either the client or the opposing party that you guys have represented? Oh, goodness. I I want to say in, in their 80s. Yeah. I had two 80s cases last year. And I was like, again, I, I, I too am getting up there, would qualify for a, for a gray divorce. <laughs> Not as old as Johnny, but still. Um, and I was almost like, why bother? <laughs> Like, right. What a horrible thing. But shouldn't you live the rest of your days happily? I mean, yes, there's transition, which is the thing that most people kind of fight. But um, I do think, and I have said this to many, if you're going to spend your entire retirement fund on getting divorced, that's going to be a huge mistake. Keep what you still have. Mm-hmm part ways, do it amicably. I mean, if you if you do have empty, if you are empty nesters because you are of an age, whether it's 50, 60, 70, 80, and your kids have moved, then what is the best way to kind of move on from here? Talk about a next chapter. This right. is really a fresh start for a next chapter. Um, I had a case where the um, husband was 74 and the <laughs> precipitating event for the divorce was the pregnancy of his girlfriend. Out. So, you know, talk about a next chapter there. Right. <laughs> we also see not infrequently couples who have you know they're still married and they've lived apart they just decided not to go through with the divorce process either because they just emotionally couldn't or you know they didn't they wanted to have this illusion of a marriage maybe for the kids even though it was truly not right. a marriage and the concern i always express to to those women it's mostly women i see do this and because they come in to the office you know you i'm sure you know this how you, you can consult with somebody for right. years right? right and i always get very concerned when you know they have no idea what the you know what assets the husband has what source of money he has that he's been giving her, like, where is that coming from? But also, does he have life insurance? Right. And, you know, and is she the beneficiary if he's got right. his girlfriend? And so yeah. I always, you know, I really, you know, when you have these people who have just, just decided maybe it's not worth going through the whole litigation of a divorce or even, you know, trying to settle it out of court, you have to think about life insurance. Right. And, and estate planning in general. I mean, when you're talking to people of that age, over 50. And I also think, <laughs> you know, when you're talking about people who are getting divorced, whether it's 50, 60 or 70, there are often things that when you had an intact marriage, you had agreed you would spend money on. Right. Aging parents, um, grown up children. Maybe you were going to pay for grad school or, you know, you had a regular support that you were going to do for your adult children. Whether you want to share in that responsibility after you get divorced can be a big issue if you're getting sure. divorced at that age. I wanted to ask you about dividing assets specifically for those with multiple homes. Again, if you're if you've been around for a long time, you might have acquired more wealth. What is it that you would tell our listeners about that? I really encourage clients to consider, I mean very early on in the case whether they want to list it for sale during the divorce. And you know, especially with the older generation, you know, again, they don't need as much space, but they have to consider that <laughs> because they're shrinking. <laughs> 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 exactly. Um, I'm shrinking. <laughs> 
I know. <laughs> but you have those great shoes, though, so no one can that tell. Helps, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I um, In fact, I'm going to get the name because I'll offer them to clients. Yes, that's a good that. idea. <laughs> but, you know, they don't, they, they're going to have to use whatever spousal support or investment income they have to cover the expenses. So really think about selling it. And also the other benefit is that when you sell it while you're in the divorce, you're going to share the selling costs, mm-hmm. the cap gains with the spouse. And then that even helps with the deduction or the exclusion rather with the cap gain. So it's, it's, I find it's a very emotional process because especially when there's college kids still, you know, like juniors and seniors, and they want to maintain the bedroom right. for them to come home. Right. But a court's not going to give, no. you know, support to maintain a house just because, you know, three months out of the year. Well, in New York State, you guys have it until 21. Right. We have it until 18 or graduation from high school. It's like, bye, girl. Oh, <laughs> You're not right. coming home here anymore. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. So that's, I mean, that's a, that's one of the big differences, I'd say, between New York State and California is that earlier cutoff on child support. Must yeah. be all those child stars that go out and they don't need any more support. Yeah. Yeah. I know, but we also we most of our agreements we when we negotiate deals, it's always up to twenty two or twenty three, provided the child's continuously in college. Right. Do you ever do? Do you ever go beyond the eighteen? We try, but generally we like that to be something that the parents can work out because what I have had happen in the past is you'll have one parent, the payor, obligated to pay through college or through a certain age, and the kid that kid ends up being a real asshole. And and statutorily, if you if no court would order you to pay past eighteen or graduation from high school, you may not want to agree to that. Again, they will likely end up paying. Most right. people do pay for their kids or help them with any kind of scholarships or financial aid, but to obligate them when a court wouldn't do it is that's a little bit dicey for a lot of family law practitioners. We have some asshole carve outs. <laughs> if like the child decides that term not- of art, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like if they decide, you know, to discontinue co- going to college right. or they want to, you know, maybe they no longer want to live at either parent's home. So, so we have some protections in place for those kids. It's rare though that we, we don't have asshole children in New York. So yeah, but thank God for that. <laughs> Alexa isn't the only one with breaking news. Make sure to hang around at the end of this podcast for the latest breaking headlines on the AP News Minute. It was a crime no one expected and one many can't forget. 22 Hours, an American Nightmare, a new podcast from WTOP News and Podcast One, details the heinous murders of a D.C. power couple, their 10-year-old son, and housekeeper inside their own home. The complicated trail of evidence. She thinks she knows how Darren Wint got inside the house. Oh my God, I saw Amy yesterday. And shocking moments from the trial. His defense team drops a bombshell. Will this investigation lead to the release of confidential audio recordings from the case? So it's under general counsel review. I mean, I'm committing to making a transparent court. 22 Hours, an American Nightmare. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts today. I'm Laura Wasser. I'm your host. And today on Divorce Sucks, we're double clicking on gray divorce, which for those of you living under a rock, JJ List, is the chic little term coined to describe dissolution of marriages in which the parties are over a certain age. No matter how old you are, though, the message you must take with you is that you can design your next chapter to be endowed with greatness and anything else you can imagine. One thing that helps not only in divorce, but in most situations, is having a handle on your finances. I suck at math, but my next guest is practically a genius in the arithmetic department. 
He's a certified public accountant who is accredited in business valuation and certified in financial forensics. He's a partner at Frankel, Reichman, and Rizzo LLP, and he was recently recognized by the National Association of Certified Valuators and an analyst as one of the 40 under 40 brightest emerging leaders in the business. Welcome to Divorce Sucks, Avi Reichman. Thank you, Laura. <laughs> What's the role of a CPA, ABV, CFF in a gray divorce? So that's an excellent question. The role is really no difference whether it's a gray divorce or whether it's a younger couple going through a divorce. When people come into my office, they like to come in and say that they want half of the pot. Right. And it's really my job to figure out what they're getting half of. And it's analyzing separate property claims, reimbursement claims, figuring out the party's income available for support to determine what spousal and or child support will be to ultimately tell them how much money they're going to be left with and what they can expect to receive on a monthly basis, Mm -hmm. or as the case may be, what they can expect to pay on a monthly basis. So when is the age of retirement when you can say like, hey, I'm not working anymore and I don't want to have to pay support anymore? So generally in California, retirement age is 65. Once you hit that age, it's up to you to decide whether or not you want to continue working. Uh, What a lot of people going through divorce are confused by is people will sometimes say that, hey, I'm 65, I no longer need to work, therefore I no no longer need to pay support. And really what it means is that you no longer need to work. If you're not working, (laughs) you probably no longer need to pay support. If you continue to work and the former spouse still has a need for support, you probably will continue to pay support. Got it. And what about Social Security? Assuming there's any of that left by the time you and I are eligible, um, what ha- what happens to those Social Security benefits for people, in California at least, that are getting divorced and they're eligible for receiving the benefits? So Social Security is not considered to be a marital asset. So if you look at a community property balance sheet, you look at a party's declaration of disclosure, Social Security will never be listed as an asset. Is it income available? It is considered income available for support. Um, But separately and apart from California family law, federal law provides that Social Security is available to a divorcing spouse after being married for 10 years. Okay. So that would be how the feds deal with it. Correct. Okay. And what's unique about dividing retirement accounts for people getting divorced over 50? So what's unique about dividing retirement accounts is you can't just write a check Uh, Whenever you divide up retirement accounts, you need what's known as a quadro or a qualified domestic relations order. It requires another attorney to prepare. It's not something your family law attorney can do. It's not something your CPA can do, although both of those can give you very good referrals. And it needs to be divided separate and apart from other marital assets. So And so that Qualified Domestic Relations Order actually is the document which assists in dividing those assets, correct? Those retirement assets. The retirement assets. Correct. And tell our listeners a little bit about how that's done in California, at least when some of the contributions might have been made prior to marriage and then some thereafter. So under California law, you've got community property and separate property. Uh, Generally, anything that was earned or brought into the marriage or anything that was earned before the marriage or an asset that existed as of the date of marriage would be separate property. Anything that was earned during the marriage would be community property. 
what's unique about gray divorce is you're a lot more likely to be looking at significant separate property claims. If a couple gets married when they're, call it 25, they probably had very little when they got married. And even if they had something, it's not likely that they're going to go through the process of trying to trace it through to preserve that separate property interest. That's assuming the gray divorcees have actually been married to each other for a long time. Uh, true. Yeah, true. okay. Uh, with, with gray divorce, you're much more likely to have, if people are divorcing later in life, it's likely that they also got married later in life. Right. And if they got married later in life, they're more likely to have brought assets into the marriage. And in particular, they're more likely to have brought in retirement benefits. So when you have a quadro or a qualified domestic relations order, you're going to have to separately carve out the contributions and the balance from before the marriage. That will go to one party as his or her separate property. And the only asset subject to division in the quadro will be the community property portion or those contributions to retirement accounts and their earnings um, that were earned during the marriage. So I know one of the things you do, and we've spoken with other guests on the show about this, is figuring out and collecting the evidence for these separate property claims or tracing. Tell us some of the ways that you've done that and some of the funny things that people will bring in to prove that they owned something prior to marriage. If it's an old bank statement from 1967 or you know something that's written somewhere, has there ever been an interesting story that you've heard about helping establish that something is separate property? Uh, there's definitely been a lot of interesting stories. I have to really think uh, hard about you know what I could share with uh, with with the listeners. <laughs> Uh, but w one of the things I try to do is when you're looking at separate property claims, particularly if it's a long marriage, it's going to be very difficult to for a party to save all those records going back, what some cases could be 20, 30, 40 years. Right. Uh, so what I usually like to tell my clients is don't look for everything. Bring me whatever you have. Uh, maybe we don't have any retirement statements going back from before the marriage, but maybe we have tax returns showing the contributions. And that could be used to ascertain a separate property claim to those assets. And how often would you say that people are able to actually establish that something is traceable separate property? So with tracing, there's really the gold standard and then there's everything below that. Yes. How often are people able to come up with an airtight tracing when it comes to bank, brokerage, retirement accounts, pretty rarely, there's usually some holes that need to be filled in. If you're looking to a piece of property, it's usually a lot easier to ascertain sure. a separate property claim because if you owned it before the marriage and money wasn't put into the real estate during the marriage, it retains its separate property character. I think most of our listeners, if they've listened even more than once, know that the law changed in 2019 with regard to taxability of spousal support. It is true that if you have a court order that was made, entered into, made prior to December 31st, 2018, and then your support can still be taxable if that was the order that was entered into. Have you had difficulties kind of implementing the new law in your practice, Avi? There have been a lot of difficulties with the new law. I've actually spoken on this topic at the Beverly Hills Bar Association, uh, spent a fair amount of time researching it. Uh, when the Tax and Jobs Act came out, virtually all of the provisions were applicable to 2018, the one exception being the 
repeal of the deductibility of alimony, Congress knew it would take some time to get that in place. And so rather than have that effective in 2018, it was only first effective January 1st, 2019. With that said, there were a number of questions that were raised when the law was passed. As one example, the issue comes up if you go from a from a support order, which is subsequently modified after January 2019, it retains its character as tax deductible and taxable to the recipient. But the question that's been raised is if you have a temporary order that goes to a permanent order, what happens there? Excellent question. We're still waiting on some guidance But wait, from the let's IRS. go back to the modified. So if I've got a permanent order for spousal support of $25,000 a month, that's a taxable and deductible spousal support, and one or the other of us goes in to modify that order because one or the other of us has a change of circumstances, you're saying whatever the new amount is going to be is also going to be taxable? That's correct. Interesting. If the original order was taxable, the modification remains taxable unless the parties stipulate to make it non-taxable. Got it. But if it's a temporary order, that, that, that question's up for grabs. Up for grabs. And do you have an opinion, and again, I won't hold you to this, I, I just am curious, as to whether it has to be a written and stamped order or it can just be an agreement? So I've had some differing uh, points of view on that. That's another question that I remember speaking about this in in March of last year, and the question was raised. There are differing views on on the subject. Um, Back in October, November of 2018, a lot of practitioners were advising their clients, if you wanted tax-deductible support, get it done, get it signed by the judge before the end of the year. I know I had a case that I was working on where the judgment got signed by the parties on December 31st, and the family law attorneys in that case uh, both uh, were under the impression that it would continue to be tax-deductible to the payor and taxable to the recipients. Got it. Uh, but no no clear guidance from the IRS Not yet. so far. Has there been anything in your practice, particularly, again, I know it's not super different, but things that you can point to that are different with older divorcing couples? What I find is really different in gray divorce is very often in the case of divorce, people suffer financial setbacks. And the hope is that it's a temporary setback and they'll have time to recover. In the case of gray divorce, if a couple's getting divorced in their 60s, or even their 70s, they have very little time to make back up any financial loss. And they really need to think about it. They're more likely to bring more assets into the divorce, but there's a lot less income earning ability that's going to take place post-divorce. And do you see them fighting just as much as the other couples? Uh, sometimes they're fighting even more. Less to lose. Splitting up on the brink of retirement can be catastrophic for your finances. Even if both partners have worked, there tend to be uneven levels of wealth among them. Women in particular may have taken time off of work for family reasons, and then that eats into their lifetime earnings. Family law attorneys and partners at Kazowitz, Benson, Torres, Emily Pollack, and Kelly Frowley have rejoined our conversation with CPA and forensic accountant Avi Reichman to get everyone's tips that anyone from Gen Z to boomers can apply to your own situation before, during, and following a divorce. So tell us, I think first, Emily and Kelly, one thing each of you wish clients would keep in mind when they're, when they're in the process of a divorce. doesn't need to be gray, but if it is, all the better. 
he's probably not hiding assets. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and the other thing is that, you know, the, I find that a client will always think the other side is happy in the process too. Right. And I remind them that I also represent, you know, husbands and, you know, probably about half my practice. Nobody's ever happy. They always think that the other side is winning and doing better than they are. And I also, you know, just say at the end of the day, it's it's a divorce and really nobody wins. Right. You know, you just want to walk out with a fair settlement, hopefully, you know, it, it, the, it, the least expensive way um, without compromising what you get in the case uh, or, you know, compromising effective representation. And, you know, be true to yourself and, 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 and try to be that person that when you look back on the process, you're not going to regret. I mean, obviously, they're all going to have, you know, terrible moments, which right. we, you know, we we expect and, you know, it's okay. But, you know, don't don't let your don't let your hate of your spouse or spite or, you know, upset about what happened. Take over who you are. Smart. I have a question. Grandparents rights in custody. We don't have those in California. Are there any in New York? There's limited rights with for grandparents with respect to ability to get visitation from your uh, with your grandchildren in a dispute with your child. Okay. However, the court will not opine about grandparents' ability to have access to their grandchildren in a divorce between grandparents. Okay. So, and if you're a grandparent, isn't it best, as we all tell a lot of our clients all the time anyway, save some of those kind of really, really angry words or what you always thought of your son-in-law or daughter-in-law, whatever, if you really want to not have access to your grandchild blocked, maybe best to kind of quiet down and keep your feelings to yourself. And there are going to be those events for the grandchildren, right? Sure. And I think that, you know, that's one of the reasons why I encourage people to sort of hold back with their, you know, making emotional decisions because there is going to be the bar and bar mitzvah. There is going to be the wedding. And you don't want to feel humiliated or, you know, cause any tension between. Or shut out yeah. because your child was so horrible to his or her ex that now you don't get to participate. You This may really be the time to step up. And although blood is thicker than water, say to your about to be estranged child-in-law, I'm still here. I still want to be a part of this grandchild's life. Avi, one thing that you wish clients would keep in mind when they're in the process of a divorce? It's, it's Probably about... Avi's like, well, maybe they're hiding money. Let me see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for another discussion. It's about the money. Sometimes clients will come in and say it's not about the money. If they're hiring me, they're hiring one of my partners, they're interested in the financial impact. And you just want to make an informed business decision. It's, it's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's about what can you get and how much is it going to cost to get you there? And what are your, what's your probability of success? If you're hoping to get a million dollars and you've got a 10% probability of success, you probably don't want to spend $150,000 pursuing that, even though you may be right. Very good point. If I could just go back, Avi, I'm not excluding you in this at all, because what, what, I, what I should have said was after you know the Avis of the world come in and they haven't demonstrated that there are hidden assets, right. sometimes clients will not relent and right. they're, they're still convinced they're hidden assets. So that's... Talking about after after the obby. <laughs> yeah, and I would agree that more, more times than not, there aren't hidden assets there. I certainly have seen it. There are a number of cases that I can point to, but more often than than not, it's just a client's illusion. And the reality is, you've got one income that's now supporting two households, and neither one of you are going to maintain the same standard of living. Absolutely, and and again, it will be 
easier to determine these things as time goes on. We now have like electronic requests for everything that's ever been there. Going back and looking at some of these records from the 60s where things are like in some box in the attic with a little bit of like, you know, mold on them because they've been there for so long is a lot different than going back and just taking a footprint of whatever's happened in the last 25 years now that everything's electronically done. Okay. So what we're going to do now is what's called the Divorce Sucks Interrogatories. Do you each swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I do. I do. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask each of you, and you each have to touch on this. So Avi, what is your relationship status? Uh, I am married with four beautiful children. Nice. Kelly? Is your spouse not beautiful? (laughs) (laughs) I hope she's not listening to that. I am married to a beautiful woman with four beautiful children. There you go. I'm married. I'm single. Yes, we heard. We heard about you and the action figures <laughs> in the bathtub. Okay. And after this podcast, I will continue to be. <laughs> Emily, on that note, what's your favorite breakup song? Um, I think I have to with a classic, Gloria Gaynor, I Will Survive. I Will Survive. You gotta lay down and die on your night. I will survive. Kelly? You're so vain. You're so Oh, nice, Carly Simon and Avi. I actually have the same answer. I will survive. Okay, good. Your guest yesterday also, right? Was that hers? Was it? She wasn't yesterday. The episode dropped yesterday, Uh, but it might have been her. I can see her being a Gloria Gaynor girl. That must be something that you forensic accountants have in common. (laughs) I I like the lyrics more so. Okay, okay, fair enough. All right, Avi, what would you say to cheer up someone going through a breakup? It only gets better from here. You once you've hit rock bottom, you can only go. There's nowhere to go but (laughs) up. Kelly, we always hated him. (laughs) Emily, Um, I am a firm believer in um, just letting people be unhappy. I think when they're having a breakup, getting through it, because I think you really need to experience that before it does get better. I can echo that. She's seen me go through many. I see. Okay. Did she I'm, loan you I'm any not sure what the, what was the bottom line. No, you and let so, me. Yeah, I would just say she let you be miserable. Uh, right. no, <laughs> on that couch, where is this going? Eating oh. ice cream, and she <laughs> right. would just yeah, yeah. Not, I would just add to that that it's not our job to make our clients happy. It's it's to <laughs> help them get through the process. And in my case, you know, to help them with the best financial results. Um, in the case of the family law attorneys, it's the best result as it relates to the custody of their children as well as the financial results. But we, can, we can't make people happy. Um, I, yes, that's true. At least I don't practice not, magic. Not in our field. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And this is my favorite. What romantic comedy could you watch on repeat, Kelly? Working Girl. I just watched that the other did day. You? How good is it? I love that movie. I did too. Oh gosh, I love. Sometimes I, love... I dance around the house and sing in my underwear. <laughs> Doesn't make you know, me Madonna. I... Never will. I have a head for business and a bod for sin. One of my favorite things is like how Melanie Griffith. We I talk about this all the time with Emily. Like now in movies, everybody's too perfect looking, right? Yeah. The white teeth. Like you just can't relate to anybody. Like the right. you know. The, you have like the Jessica Biel with these guns, and she's yeah. like, "Oh, I'm a waitress in a factory." Right? Yeah, what like, are you talking about? Right. Nobody yeah. has like the fat underneath their triceps. But when you look back, I mean, obviously Me- Melanie Griffith. Is right. Melanie looks better now. Yeah. I mean, she's she's beautiful in the movie, but she's natural. Even yes. Sigourney Weaver. Um, yes. And then there's of course Harrison oh. Ford. So I know, good. I know. I so good. Movie. It was a really good movie. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Avi, go ahead. Uh, I would say Father of the Bride. 
Yeah. Oldie but a goodie. That is a good one. Martin Short in that one. First one. One, of course. The original OG. No, I mean, which uh, version? It's because it's an old movie. The Steve Martin was a remake. Oh. He's 37. (laughs) He's not as no from any other movie, (laughs) Father of the Bride, than Steve Martin. Am I wrong? Are you talking about a black and white film? I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking... Steve Martin, Father of the Bride, Father of the Bride Two. I was right. not. I wasn't even thinking of it as a remake. Got but. it. All right. I retract my question. <laughs> okay. Great divorce. How about you? <laughs> I think this fits in. I think the uh, the Keira Knightley version of Pride and Prejudice. Oh yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right, guys. Thank you very, very much for being here today on Divorce Sucks. Flying in for this. I feel very important. (laughs) Don't tell me you're doing anything else here. I like to just live in the illusion that you flew in just for this podcast. Tell us how people can keep up with you, find you online, starting Emily. Um, Our firm website is kazwitz.com. And my email is epollock, like the painter, P-O-L-L-O-C-K, at kazwitz.com. And I don't even know what my Twitter handle. <laughs> Please don't. This is going to embarrass you. Which part? The part we, where we I, each between the two of us have ten followers, but we don't know how to use Twitter. Right. <laughs> so I don't. I mean, I think the other day she asked me um, <laughs> to. She's like, um, I need somebody to follow me on Twitter. I was like, Oh, I'm not on Twitter. She's oh, like, look, Yes, you are. Johnny's telling me. you what your Twitter handle is. Oh, I oh, link, oh. LinkedIn. Okay, I'm at Emily S. Pollock. And uh, yeah, don't bother me with Twitter. Okay. Kelly? Um, I'm also at the Caswitz.com website where you can download the V card. Um, same with LinkedIn. I'm also, according to Johnny, I'm also on there. Um, good to know. It is at Kelly A. Frawley. Um, and we also, um, we contribute regularly to uh, Forbes.com. So oh, cool. we write twice a month. In fact, we had an article a couple of months ago on <laughs> Great Divorce. I think, is that how we found you? It might be. All right, Avi. So my firm's website is calcpaexpert.com. We recently redesigned the website, so feel free to take a look. Absolutely. Um, I'm on it open. right when you walk out the door. I'm going to be looking at <laughs> We're open to constructive criticism. <laughs> okay, which is, and I'm good at constructive criticism, so we are going to be we're going to get along fine. Okay. We're not allowed to do anything in LA other than Laura's podcast, so we won't be able to look. But, no. Okay, while you're on the plane, yeah. take a look. <laughs> Fair After enough. they announce, please turn off all your electronic devices. That could be your that last, could be the that thing that blows website. the whole thing. Okay, and email Avi. Email Avi at calcpaexpert.com. Uh, expert is singular. I seem to get that question all the time. So we bought the domain name for experts as well. So that Smart. does work as well. Okay. But you won't be able to email Avi. Will it get there? Yeah. It, okay. it will get to me. So when, after you look at the website, <laughs> email, see if it goes with the plural on the singular. And LinkedIn? Uh, LinkedIn at Avi Reichman. Uh, but honestly, I don't spend a lot of time on updating LinkedIn, anything no. on LinkedIn. So okay. I'm going to go really old school and say, you can call me. Talk to my office manager, Ellie. She does a very good job of screening my calls. Nice. That's it for now, everyone. More divorce stories next week. Thank you all for listening. This is the Divorce Sucks Podcast. I'm Laura Wasser.